Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and this week I'm going to be discussing what I'm calling Bargain Blue in Wilds of Eldraine. That's not because it's available at a discount, but rather because it uses the bargain mechanic. Though, I would say it is actually also available at a discount. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, Blue is currently not being drafted very highly, due to the very understandable reason that it doesn't perform very well in aggregate. So, backing up a little bit before I get too far ahead of myself, the notes are available, uh, as always, to follow along at patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes. And in this format, um, colors are a little looser than usual. So, the archetypes that I cover might not be two-color pairs, uh, quite as much as they might be strategic concepts. Uh, I haven't like worked out like a master plan for uh, all of the clusters that I consider archetypes in this format, but uh, I, I don't think that it's going to be just like, you know, going by two color pairs. Blue uh, is the worst performing color on 17 lands by a clear and considerable margin. Uh, there is no two-color blue archetype that performs better than a non-blue two-color archetype. So people people have not necessarily figured out how to draft blue in general, at the very least. As far as the idea that colors are a little bit more flexible in this format, this is the only format I can remember seeing on 17 Lands where uh, the general win rate goes up as you add more colors. In general, I don't think that when two color decks in general have a better win rate than three or four color decks, I don't think that that strongly indicates that you should avoid drafting three or four color decks because people draft two color decks when the seat that they're in supports the cards that they open and the draft just kind of goes smoothly. Where they draft more colors if they start in a lane that gets cut and then they have to like figure out something else and then make the most of their cards and the draft like doesn't go quite as well. Like it's just structurally very hard for decks with more colors to perform better in aggregate than decks with fewer colors because it implies that you're in like not as good of a seat uh, for the cards that you opened. So the fact that decks with more colors perform better than decks with fewer colors in the format suggests that splashing is very easy and uh, very um, rewarded. Uh, this is in a large part due to um, the uh, uncommon off color, uncommon and rare off color adventure cycle. Um, there's just so much value in getting access to those other things. So it's just like the fixing so good, it's usually worth splashing in the format. And so when talking about like, like if I were to frame this as an episode about blue white or about blue red, it wouldn't really cover all the cards that I'm like actively looking for in the draft because uh, I'm looking for cards of a variety of colors when I'm um, in the kind of space that I'm going to be talking about. So that's all kind of background into what's going on big picture and what's going on with this archetype. So a little more history. After my first few drafts, uh, I was in a place where I really just wanted to avoid blue. But if you watch me 
uh, play Lord of the Rings, uh, it might not surprise you that that didn't really last long. Similarly, with Lord of the Rings, like Red Black had the best stats early. Mardu in general was performing well. It was like, okay, blue is clearly not as good as these other colors. Let's try to like draft these other colors. But then I started like figuring out ways to incorporate blue into decks in ways that I liked. And then I started usually drafting blue because it wasn't drafted as highly as the other colors and supported the ways that I wanted to be playing the game. The same thing seems to be happening largely in this format where I struggled with blue early. I had some drafts where I kind of tried to draft blue and I couldn't really figure out like which cards are good or what I should be doing with it. And so then I was like, okay, I just shouldn't draft blue. And then I ended up in a spot where I like played it some more and had some good results and started to figure out like which cards I like and what I want to do with it. And now I think that I'm more likely to be blue than any other color uh, as kind of the metagame stands right now. So not necessarily exclusively a function of like the card pool and the format itself, but given how the rest of the community is valuing cards, I think that they're underrating enough of the blue cards that I can pretty comfortably uh, draft blue decks. And in fact, multiple of the last blue decks I've had, uh, when I go to deck building, I can play over 50 cards that are all similar quality. And I've had multiple decks where I sideboard up to more than 50 cards, either because my opponent has a lot of removal and I'm concerned about not having enough total threats in my deck, or I once played against Forced Fruition, and so I just put basically every card I drafted into my deck and then played a game where my opponent cast Forced Fruition anyway, and I just beat them very easily because I was able to like take advantage of drawing seven cards a couple of times. While I think that blue is a relatively shallow color, like there aren't that many blue cards that I want, everyone's avoiding it so much that you end up with like a deep pool of playable cards, even while you're trying to avoid the bad blue cards uh, at this particular moment. So given that the player base in general hasn't necessarily figured out what to do with blue, and I've been having some success with it, and I think that different blue cards are going to succeed with different strategic approaches, and that this podcast is really about the way that I've been approaching blue, I wanted to kind of look at the cards in blue independent of like their win rates to uh, identify which cards I personally feel drawn to without having a number next to it. So I went on to Scryfall rather than 17 lands and uh, just like sorted, you know, looked at the blue commons and just uh, noted which ones stood out to me as cards that I'm looking for rather than, you know, usually when I'm covering an archetype, I like to go into the stats on 17 lands and see what's done well for players in general in that archetype. But because there's not really like a specific uh, archetype, the way that 17 lands sorts decks that does that I have any reason to believe does that I'm trying to do, I thought the stats might not be super useful. So stats independent based on my own experiences, the blue commons that I'm most looking for are Aquatic Alchemist, the 2-mana 1-3 with a 3-mana adventure that can put an instant or sorcery from your graveyard on top of your deck, and it gets plus 2 plus 0 the first time you cast an instant or sorcery in your turn. Quick Study, the instant speed divination. Yoan Stopgap, the uh, bargain bounce spell that draws a card, costs 4 mana or 2 if you bargain it. 
and into the Fey Court, the five mana sorcery that draws three cards and makes a one-one flying, uh, makes a cloud sprite, a one-one flyer that can't block token. There are only that's just four commons. There are only four commons in blue that I'm really happy about, and even Quick Study is kind of meh. The next tier of cards in blue that I'm like not unhappy to have, but not necessarily excited about. Sleight of Hand, Ice Out, that's the three mana counter spell with Bargain. Mocking Sprite, that's the three mana uh, two one that makes your uh, instants and sorceries cost one less. A note on Mocking Sprite, in best of three, I think you want to be really careful about siding it in or out of your deck, depending on how your, much your opponent is punishing one toughness creatures. If your opponent has cards like Flick a Coin and Rat Out, um, you probably don't want to be in the market Mocking Sprite business. But if you're not getting punished for that one toughness, it can be really good. Vantress Transmuter, the four mana three four that uh, can tap and curse something as a two mana adventure sorcery. Uh, Obira's Attendance, the three four flyer that uh, has an adventure to minus four uh, power instant speed thing. Baluna's Gatekeeper, the 6-mana six 6-5 six that has an adventure for 2-mana sorcery speed to bounce a creature that costs 3 or less, and Spell Stutter, the mana leak if you have a fairy that scales based on fairies. Abira's Attendants, I would note, have like bad stats on 17 lands. Uh, I still like them in some decks and not in others. Um, that, that's true of basically all of these cards. All, all of those cards are, sometimes I want them, sometimes I don't. Of course, what it really means, what really matters is the uncommons. So the best blue uncommon by a lot, and the uncommon that usually gets me into blue is hatching plans. Hatching plans is also the reason that I'm calling this archetype bargain blue. Uh, more on that in a bit. The hatching plans is the uh, enchanting tales reprint, uh, one in a blue enchantment. When it goes to the graveyard from the battlefield, draw three cards. And then Bitter Chill. Bitter Chill is the uh, uncommon one in a blue, tap a creature, it doesn't untap. When this goes to the graveyard, you can pay one if you do scry one, draw a card. Picklock Prankster, the uh, fairy with the uh, impulse into the graveyard, choose an instant or sorcery from among them, or fairy from among them, put it in your hand, and then it's a 1-3 flyer for two. Frolicking Familiar, the Otter, 2-2 Flying Prowess with the uh, deal 1 damage any target adventure. Tenacious Tome Seeker, the 3-2 Bargain, get an instant resource from your graveyard into your hand. Johan, Apprentice Sorcerer, the blue-red 2-5 uh, Legend that I've actually never played with um, that lets you cast spells from the top of your deck. Shere of Numbing Depths, the blue-white uh, legend that taps something and then draws a card whenever you tap their things. It also stuns the thing it taps. Threadbind Click, love this one. One of, one of my favorites. This is the 3-3 three, three flyer for four with a three-mana adventure to kill a tap creature at instant speed. And then Archive Dragon, the six-mana 4-6 four, four, ETB Scry 2 Ward 2 Dragon. Those uncommons cover most of the like real draw to blue. So... The cards that are most likely going to get me into blue are uh, Hatching Plans, Frolicking Familiar, and Threadbind Click. Notably, because Frolicking Familiar and Threadbind Click are both those, like, you know, kind of gold adventures, uh, I will have a lot of decks that are splashing those cards. Uh, if I'm not red, I'll splash Frolicking Familiar. If I'm not white, I'll splash Threadbind Click. 
off of just like a few ways to uh, cash the adventure potentially maybe several if it happens to go that way and even if i don't have a hatching plans at the beginning of the draft because so much of the power in blue comes from hatching plans and because blue is so underdrafted you're reasonably likely to see a hatching plans later in the draft and you really want to be positioned to take advantage of it so you really want to prioritize uh bargain when you're uh like early in the draft setting up what you're going to be doing fortunately uh a lot of the premium removal has bargain and blue like the good blue cards are basically all card advantage right like uh the card the commons that i mentioned that i like quick study draws two into the fake court draws three johan stopgap draws one but sometimes you end up bouncing your own thing and drawing more off of it aquatic alchemist uh doesn't draw cards itself but one of the reasons that i like it so much is that it's really powerful to use its adventure to put into the fake court back on top of your deck so you can keep drawing more cards basically if you're playing blue you're good for card draw if like the deck is open and you want card draw you have as much of it as you could use that means that i'm very highly prioritizing all of the efficient removal and fortunately most of that has bargain so you're looking for torch the tower the uh shock that bargains to deal three and exiles uh creatures that it kills so that is also only hits creatures so i guess it's more of a magma spray uh candy grapple that's the black minus three minus three bargain to minus five minus five kellen's light blades that's the three damage to an attacker or blocker bargain to kill the attacker or blocker and johan St stopgap the blue bounce spell that i've already talked about all of those are good ways to get your opponent's stuff out of play, kill your opponent's stuff, slow them down while adding bargain to your deck. And that's all like the cheapest removal you can get anyway. So you're really not going out of your way to enable bargain when you play that stuff. Those things existing is really like the reason the deck exists and what you're looking for. There are a bunch of other bargain cards to keep an eye out for that you can use in this deck, like Archon's Grace, the one mana plus two plus two, uh, that if you bargain gives flying and lifelink. Agatha's Champion, the uncommon four four uh, in green that uh, has trample, and then if you bargain it, it fights something when it enters. For the most part, I'm thinking of these uh, this like bargain blue uh, removal and card draw strategy as like non-green i think that like blue green is just a different deck like it plays pretty differently when you're base green and like hamlet glutton exists but it's not really splashable and to me i think that like if you're playing hamlet glutton you're like mostly a different archetype that i'm within what i'm talking about but i guess as champion you can actually splash in the like base blue decks that aren't green High Fey Negotiator, that's the black 3-5 that uh, uh, flyer that drains your opponent for three if you bargain. Ice Out, the cancel that you can bargain into Counterspell. Rowan's Grim Search, I'm not very high on this one. It's the uh, three mana instance that um, draws to, draw to lose to, but uh, you like scry a bunch first, kind of, if you bargain it. Like I said, that one's hit or miss for me. I can play, like, I'd rather have blue card draw, basically, and then I'd rather my bargain stuff be removal. 
Stone Splitter Bolt, the uncommon X spell in red with bargain. Uh, I don't consider that one premium red removal, but it's a way to get more bargain if you want and not like horrible if you're this kind of deck. Tenacious Tome Seeker, the 3-2 bargain that gets something back and Troublemaker, oof. Hypothetically, you could splash, not something I've like done or really been looking to do. Uh, so, but th those are other bargain stuff to keep an eye out for. And then because you're going to have a lot of cards with bargain, you also want to make sure that you have other things to bargain with outside of your hatching plans. Because, you you know, if you have hatching plans, you'd like to have, I don't know, five plus bargain cards. And then uh, sometimes you're going to draw those bargain cards without your hatching plans and you're going to want to be able to take advantage of the bargain thing. So you want other enablers. So some of the enablers that I keep an eye out for uh, prophetic prism prophetic prism is just like great in this archetype in general because as i said you're looking to splash and then once your mana is set or just if you have to bargain you can you know sack it to bargain and figure it out later and you're not down a card so prophetic prism is a really good way all of the red commons that make treasures grabby giant the red cap and uh, especially flick a coin are all pretty good enablers for this deck they you know the treasure can be used for your splash or for your bargain uh, Vantress Transmuter or anything else that makes a roll, but Vantress Transmuter is kind of the most natural fit of the stuff that makes rolls. Um, and then Hopeless Nightmare uh, and Hopeful Vigil are really, really, really good uh, bargain enablers. I'm willing to splash uh, either of them potentially, although I prefer to play... I, I generally try to think of this deck as like two colors with a splash, two colors with two splashes. You could be one color with four splashes, whatever. There's a lot of like different ways the mana can work. I want to be able to cast the uh, hopeful and hopeless cards early, but they're great. Try to play them. Fixing, you're really happy with Evolving Wilds, Crystal Grotto, Prophetic Prism. Crystal Grotto is notable in that a lot of the cards that aren't blue, like you're basically playing expensive blue cards and cheap removal and all the other colors. And Grotto is good for fixing cheap cards and bad for fixing expensive cards. Uh, and so, like, it's nice that if you're, you know, multicolor green, blue-based control, the top end of your deck is a bunch of blue stuff, right? You can play, like, the Dragon and the 6-5 Adventure and your Into the Fey Courts, and you'll have islands to cast those. And then all of these, like, two-mana removal spells and bargain enablers and stuff you can it's okay if that costs one extra mana because you're using a grotto to fix for it especially in the late game uh prophetic prism i talked about and then aside from all that you're just seeing a ton of cards like this is an archetype where i'm routinely needing to pay attention to how many cards i've drawn to figure out whether i'm close to decking myself and so the more car you know drawing more cards is always the best mana fixing um, and so just like the nature of your deck, the fact that you draw a lot of cards, you're playing long games, means that you can have mana that looks pretty questionable, um, but have it all work as long as you have your colors sorted for your early game stuff. So like you can, you know, comfortably splash your uh, Threadbind clicks off not very many white sources and find them eventually and uh, they'll still be very good in your deck. So... I'm relatively low on Spell Stutter and Sleight of Hand. Uh, when I checked the blue common win rates on 17 lands, I think those might have been two of the top three performing commons. 
they're both fine. It's not like bad to put them in any blue deck for the most part. However, I prefer to avoid spell stutter in these kinds of decks because I'm planning to play a long game and I'm expecting that spell stutter will just turn off at some point in that game. And I would prefer to have, you know, the early removal that can uh, catch me up from behind and just kind of answer the board and then still function later in the game. So creature removal instead of uh, conditional counter spells, soft counters, if you will. And then sleight of hand is pretty nice for like finding your mana and um, finding your bargain enablers and payoffs and like generally smoothing things and uh, getting some like prowess triggers or whatever. But I don't want to have too much air in the deck because you already want to play so many big card draw spells that it can be hard to like have enough actual oomph in the deck. So the more sleight of hands you have, the more you risk just having too much air in your deck and being in a spot where, especially against some of the like multicolored green decks, you just don't have like you you play these games where you basically just like both put your whole decks on the table and line up your like threats and answers and their deck just has more total stuff than yours, so you die. And in that spot, you like you not only like lose but you like deterministically lose like it's just you know you can find yourself in a spot where you just have a horrendous matchup if you don't have enough like actual action in your deck and so i i think including sleight of hands in large numbers especially if you also have prisms and stuff can start to get dangerous um and i i would rather have some space to just have you know like balloonas gatekeepers just like reasonable like big threats in my deck instead of those things. This also applies to the um, one in a white tap a creature, draw a card, scry one. Not necessarily in that order. Uh, that's like, you know, a color shifted Hithlane Knots, which was a card that I absolutely loved in uh, Lord of the Rings, but I think is just really bad in this set for a lot of different reasons. I think that... Uh, Boards are more likely to be wide, so tapping a single creature is less likely to buy you like a turn or a fraction of a turn. There's a lot more to spend your mana on, so like two mana scry cantrip is more cumbersome. Uh, there's the danger of air that I was talking about. There's the lack of anything like bath song that lets you like recycle this kind of stuff. There aren't really high impact payoffs like Gandalf sanctions for getting these spells in your graveyard. And all of that said, there's a whole archetype, theoretically, that's about tapping your opponent's stuff. So I guess this particular episode of this podcast, I think, is going to be as close as I'm going to come to touching on blue-white. So I want to talk about like how to draft specifically when you're in a blue-white seat. Because blue-white specifically is the worst performing color pair in this set. And its stats are similar to uh, blue-green in Lord of the Rings, and I think it's in a similar position, where the prescription about what you're supposed to do uh, just kind of structurally failed. Um, the, like, tap your opponent's deck stuff is not well enough supported that it's where you should expect to be if you're blue-white. Uh, if you have 
like two or three total blue and white legends any combination of the uncommon and mythic uh that like can make four fours or do other things when you tap stuff not will the two four that makes stuff cheaper when you gain life if you have those you might be able to draft a deck that's just like about tapping your opponent's stuff and have it work but for the most part the tap your opponent's stuff deck is bad and poorly positioned and not the right thing to do with uh, blue white the right thing to do with blue white is very much lean into bargain so uh the white commons you should be prioritizing in blue white are archon's glory cooped up so that's the plus two plus two the pacifism that can exile stuff hopeful vigil the uh enchantment that makes a knight and scribes when it dies and you can pay mana to sack it kellen's light blades uh the three damage thing stockpiling celebrant the three two that picks something up to, to scry and then sometimes to unveil guide the two three that uh gets lifelink with celebration the flyer that one i kind of like just as a like control finisher like lifelinking flyer uh is imp- kind of important for like digging you out when you're getting low on life and then at uncommon specifically uh, i want to call attention to the princess takes flight as being uh kind of like an engine removal spell to combine with both stockpiling celebrant and this can i think be overlooked sometimes johan stopgap can also bounce princess takes flight so that you can use it again so you have two different commons that let you uh pick up your princess takes flight so that you don't give them their creature back and you get to play it again and exile another one of their creatures so i i think in a lot of ways princess takes flight uh is like actually the signpost uh blue white uncommon though it's also very good in all of the other white decks so it's not like it specifically points you to blue but that's like it's it's a better signal of the kind of stuff you want to be getting up to in blue white i hope i mean i i think that that list and the rest of what i've talked about should cover the headspace you should be in in blue white be very open to splashing other cheap removal and just be looking to play a very very traditional control game and then again with all of this stuff because there's nothing in the set there's no clear the mind there's no bath song you can't loop your deck the fact that you can't loop your deck means that you need to have enough uh actual power in your deck to end games which does mean so you know (laughs) there's kind of a like meme or a recurring joke about people asking like what's your win con And there's like this idea of like finishers that I think mostly doesn't apply to most limited decks, but can actually relevantly come up in some of the blue decks in this format. It is possible to be so good at drawing cards and answering things uh, that like you just kind of get lost in the sauce doing that and forget to like ever actually have a way to kill your opponents and uh, you just kind of like spin your wheels and deck yourself. So you do want to make sure that you have a few like high impact creatures or like some kind of realistic plan to actually kill your opponent. It's not really that hard. I don't think it's going to be like a major issue, but you know, it, it kind of just gets back to what I was saying when I was talking about like watching out for playing too many uh, sleight of hands over some of the like medium blue common creatures because sleight of hand has better stats than the creatures by a lot because outside of this kind of context it's a better card when it's like helping you dig for rares or whatever but if your deck 
is all just like good card advantage and removal, you really, really, really need random threats more than you need cantrips. So, uh, and then, I mean, just finally to reiterate, uh, kind of in the context of talking about this as a guide for blue-white, in blue-white, as in all blue control decks, you should always be open to splashing. You play long games, see a million cards, the fixing's great. There's just every reason to try to splash. That covers it. So we're going to turn it over to chat for questions. I want to thank the newest patrons. So thank you, Nick, Sama, uh, Pablo, and Jose Luis. Really appreciate it. I'm really excited about this set. I think a lot of other people are also. Um, so it's exciting to see some more support as I suspect like more people get uh, more engaged with Limited, having like a really great you know, mainstream retail set uh, helps a lot with that. You know, like drafting Lord of the Rings, if you play in paper, I think was a little cost prohibitive. So it's it's good to be back to like a core retail set that uh, is really good. Um, you know, the, the color balance issues, if it exists, are that blue is the worst color. But hopefully, you know, this provides context to maybe boost these numbers a bit. Like I said, it's been working for me. So, did I talk about the 2-1 fairy that reduces instant sorcery costs by one? And if not, what are your thoughts? I mentioned it briefly in the uh, cards I'm not unhappy to have on my deck. And uh, the main thing that I said about it is that if you're playing best of three, you want to be really careful to have it in your deck when your opponent doesn't have things that punish one toughness and not have it in your deck when your opponent does. I think the card is really, really good to have in play. The uh, cost discount is really impactful. But it just gets beat up on so badly by Flick a Coin and Rat Out uh, that it can be a bit of a liability. I'm generally a very conservative drafter, which uh, is probably a funny statement given uh, how much I'm into exploration and, um, you know, pushing uh, the boundaries of what a deck can do and stuff in a lot of ways. What I mean when I say I'm conservative is I really don't like high variance cards. Uh, those that are going to be like good in some spots and bad in others, or that expose me to like getting blown out in some way. This is why I'm usually really low on pacifism type effects. Um, so while I've had good experiences with Mocking Sprite and was reasonably high on it, once it started like running into some of the one toughness punishes a little bit more, uh, I was pretty quick to go like, the, the upside here isn't worth the risk. What's my opinion on Collector's Vault in this archetype? So Collector's Vault is the two-man artifact that you can spend two to loot and make a treasure. I have some concerns about um, looting in terms of like, if I have a bunch of card draw, like basically I think the less card draw you have, the better Collector's Vault is. Because once you're at the point where you can spend all of your mana endlessly like drawing cards, then spending a bunch of mana to loot is really bad. But it can be a source of fixing, a source of objects to bargain, a source of like not flooding out when your deck is full of removal. So I think it's like better in like black or red-based control decks than it is in blue-based control decks. But if you're like short on actual card draw, then it could have a place. How would I value the three mana two three uncommon fairy that doubles your adventures? Extremely low. 
would it be a reasonable way to be in, to get inevitability with the alchemist? I am just not very happy about spending uh, four mana for a two three and then hoping that it lives for me to cast other spells to like get value out of it. Um, I think uh, the rate is just like too bad. Um, so like e even when I've had access to like I. I'm currently playing a teamer adventure deck and have it in my sideboard. Uh, I, I'm very low on that card. How does curiosity fit into this archetype, if at all? I think if you don't have multiple catapults in your deck, you should be extremely hesitant to put curiosity in your deck. I think that there are some versions of like blue black fairies where it's like an acceptable way to have some card draw, but I, I don't really like the idea of my plan is to like. Hope I find a window to put it on my flyer to hit you and draw a card, and then I have like successfully not gotten two for one if you have an answer to it after that. And then if I'm very lucky and you can't kill my creature with curiosity on it, I'll get to draw one extra card a turn. I I that's you know getting into the like um I don't like exposing myself to getting blown out. But the upside with catapult is super high. Um I think that like the blue red catapult spells deck is slightly like a close adjacent archetype to this archetype. If you are in that archetype, curiosity is great, but if you're not like going off with catapults, then you should not be playing curiosity. Have I had drafts where I took this basic approach and appeared to be drafting the kind of deck I'm describing, but then ended up in a more traditional two-color control deck, maybe splashing one or two cards in another color? Yes, kind of. I mean, I uh, had a draft recently where I was kind of like drafting as Esper, and then when I got to deck building, or I was actually drafting it as four-color, but like four-color non-green with a bunch of like prisms. And then I just ended up not having any red except for one torch of the tower. And I just had like five random, like, okay, black cards. And I ended up building it as blue white. Uh, that was the draft where I ended up like siding in all of my like black and red cards and like going up to like 53 or 54 cards or something against forced fruition. So like, yes, I mean, basically like the broad answer to the question is since I'm just kind of taking removal wherever I see it, but uh, this whole lane broadly is like pretty open. If I end up getting a bunch of removal in one color, I could find myself in a spot where it's not worth splashing the removal from other colors. And so then it gets like pared down from kind of like four color blue into two color blue uh, with like, if I can get everything that I need in like a lane that happens to be wide open. So... Uh, I think that you kind of just like value the same cards early in the draft, but then if you like figure out that like, oh, this color pair is so open that I just like get everything I want and I have good mana, sometimes you just kind of like end up zeroing in on like a narrower path. How well does Ice Out play in this archetype? Would you look to run more instant speed effects like Quick Study so you can uh, mostly play instant speed? I think it's fine to have a couple Ice Outs. Um, it's like nice to eventually like draw into to kind of like seal up a game. It's a little like clunky early, so I don't want to have a lot of them. 
most of the removal that I want is instant speed anyway, so it's like not very hard to play an instant speed game in this kind of deck. So I don't know. I, I don't think I would want more than two ice outs in a deck, basically, because I think that they risk being too clunky, but it's like fine to have some of. Is aggro too oppressive in this format? It's a little subjective, but I'm going to go with no. If I get a chance to get Goblin Bombardment, would it be okay to get two of those adventures that put a spell on top and the spell that returns two creatures from the grave to hand and kind of loop some of the deck? I wouldn't recommend that as the best use of Goblin Bombardment. I think that's basically my answer. If you have Goblin Bombardment, I recommend playing Red Black Rats or Red White Celebration Aggro and uh, just kind of like using bombardment to kill your opponent and or their blockers the like small ball loop stuff is potentially a way to like avoid decking yourself if you're like struggling with ways to do that but like instead of trying to find like that specific black uncommon to pair with that particular like rare and those commons i i would just put some six drops in your deck. All right. I think I'm going to wrap it up there. So thanks everyone for listening. There's been some discussion recently in uh, the Drafting Archetypes Discord channel um, about the use of uh, Patreon polls to uh, determine archetype topics, specifically suggestions that uh, listeners, at least some listeners, generally prefer when I choose the topic and choose something that I have something to say about rather than uh, when I just like go with whatever a poll suggests and sometimes don't have a lot to say about it. I think that moving forward, my ambition is going to be to figure out a few different ideas that I have that I could talk about and then uh, to put up a poll between a smaller number of things that I th- I'm confident I can uh, make an interesting episode out of. We'll see if that ends up being too ambitious. Basically, uh, you know, if I feel like there's one thing that's clearly a lot uh, more interesting to talk about than other stuff, I might just do it. Still kind of figuring out the exact right approach to um, the polls and the pattern about what to talk about moving forward. So stay tuned and we'll see what happens uh, on that front. Thanks again and I'll see you next week. Bye. Prepare for light speed.